Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please send us an email and let us know at mystory@jfc.org. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at jfc.org forward slash give and help us bring messages just like this one to you every week. Today's message is from our series, Famous Last Words. In this series, we will discuss the final words Jesus spoke while on the cross. Open your hearts for what God wants to speak to you today. you are here. Hey, Friday, uh, seven months ago, if you are um, a part of our church, you, you, I had a heart attack. And um, so uh, after you have that, you have a cardiologist for the rest of your life. And my six-month checkup was on Friday. And here was the report. The guy said, you're the best patient I have because you actually do what we tell you to do. How about that? So... So I'm going someplace with this. Uh, prior to the event last year, like most people, I took my health for granted. Not that I ever wanted to experience anything bad. Uh, in fact, it would be just the opposite. I just thought it would happen to somebody else and not me. I could just kind of take care of the things that were in front of me and ignore the physical part of my life. And the truth of the matter is, just because you love God doesn't mean that uh, ignoring those things gives you some kind of advantage in the situation. Uh, you want to take care of what God has given you, and one of those things is your body. All right, so we exist, like Marcus stands up and says, to help people recover and discover the promises of God. Uh, I think so many times we only think of that in spiritual dimensions, like all that God has for us is just spiritual things. God wants you to be whole in your spirit. He wants you to be whole in your mind, but he also wants you to be whole in your body. Let me try that again over here on this, because you saw how it just kind of went wham right there. I'll just say... How many of you want to live a long time and be healthy? If you don't raise your hand, you don't get to. So now you, yeah, okay. So it's an important issue. We know it's true. If I were to stand right now and just ask how many of you think that that's something you should pay attention to, we'd all agree that's an important issue. The thing about it is, just like me, we don't do it. And since this has happened to me, I'm more convinced than ever that one of the reasons this church is here, it's not just to take care of people spiritually and emotionally, but that we also, um, if your life is going to go good, you need to be whole in your body too. And so on the 21st, what we're doing, our first ever Jubilee Health and Fitness Expo, 
and all of the people in our church that are involved in uh, wellness, whatever that is, however that looks, we've gathered them together and we've asked them just to help us expose our people to the idea of wellness and it's all free. None of it is being charged for, it's all free. We're doing it at our Highlands Ranch campus and we're providing childcare uh, if you have kids that would uh, figure into the mix. And here's what we're doing for the kids. On the television, you've probably seen that American Ninja Warrior show. Do you know what I'm what I'm talking Oh, now you're excited. <laughs> now we're in. Uh, okay. So what they did was actually build an American Ninja Warrior course for the kids. So it's not just like come over and drop them off in child care. It's like they're going to let them teach about fitness too and let them do a course that's really fun. It's for kids. One of my pastors this week, over 200 pounds, went over there to try the course and almost destroyed it before we had a chance to let it be used for the kids. Uh, April 21st, 6.30, Highlands Ranch Campus. This little flyer is available out there at the orange wall. You cannot miss it. And I just want you to consider this. It's important that your spirit is growing. It's important that you're healthy in your mind, but it's also important that you're healthy in your body. And take it from somebody who knows what they're talking about right now. It should be a priority in our life. If you want to serve God, you have to be able to do it with a healthy body too. So think about this. Uh, maybe just um, maybe it would be the place that would help you move into that and to consider that. All right, enough commercials. Let me, um, let me pray, refocus us, and we'll jump into the message for today. So Lord, um, here's, what, um, here's what we need. So at all of our campuses right now, as we live stream everything out right now, and people are all together hearing something. Um, God, do what you do really well. Draw us together as one. Make us one right now. Let us hear the same message at the same time so that we have the same direction. Father, your blessing comes from unity. And so right now, God, as we come together to hear about Jesus, to lift up the work of Jesus, to expose people to all that Jesus has done for us. God, help us right now just to have open minds and open hearts, eyes that can see. Father, all the stuff that gets in the way, uh, the static and the worries, the preoccupation, all the stuff. Father, right now, we just want to push it aside. Help us to do that and to give the next few minutes just to you right now so you can do something great in our lives. God, I love you, and I thank you for the chance to teach to people that I love a lot, too. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A little more than 100 years ago, when the U.S. used to send missionaries to all parts of the world, it was done different than it's done today. People back then didn't think in terms of what retirement would look like. They didn't think in terms of learning a language or uh, preparing. If you felt called to uh, a part of the earth and that call was verified by an elder in a church or a group of people or a school, basically what you would do is just raise enough money to get there and hope for the best. Today we do it a little bit different in that if you decide you want to be a missionary man, you go to a lot of school. Part of that is not just simply an education with a degree, but language schools are necessary. And then you go to the school of hard knocks, which is called finances. And you spend a lot of time raising finances. And they also want you to think about what your life is going to look like when you retire. So they ask missionaries today not to just raise money to get there and to stay there, 
but that when you're done, have enough money to retire. They want them to think about all those things. And I think that's smart thinking, do you? But here's the thing that when I look back and I read stories of these missionaries, it's inspiring to me because they were called one-way missionaries. Meaning that when they decided to go to some place in the world, they were going one way. It wasn't back and forth. I'm going one way. I'm giving my all. When they would pack their stuff up, they'd get it all together and they'd pack it in a coffin. And they'd ship the coffin ahead of them. Because their only way of coming back to the States was when they were done sowing in that part of the world, they would come back after their lives were over. Now, right or wrong, good or bad, you got to admit this, those people were all in, weren't they? I was reading a story this week about a person who did that. His name was A.W. Milne, M-I-L-N-E, and it really was inspiring to me. His father was a missionary in China and spent his whole life in China. Raised his children there, and one of his sons saw what his father had done, and the Lord began to speak to him, and he felt called to missions. And he went to his dad, and he told him, I want to do what you do. I want to be a missionary. And his dad asked him, where? Where in the world do you want to go? The kid told his dad, it's an island in the South Pacific. And when he told his dad the name of it, his dad said, no. He said, it's considered to be the missionary's graveyard. No missionary has lasted more than six months without being killed in that particular island nation. Not only that, they were headhunters. Can you imagine the dad hearing his son say, that's where I want to go one way. The dad, even being a missionary, tried to talk his son out of it, but like kids can be, the more he talked, the more the kid decided he wanted to go. But it was more than just the stubbornness. This young man felt that God had called him to this island nation, and he began to prepare his life. And when he packed his stuff, like everybody else, as a one-way missionary, he packed it in a coffin, he sent it on, and he went to this nation. The guy lasted 35 years in the island nation. Gave his life to those people, and this is true in 2017. 80% of that island nation is a Christian nation today because of that man's decision more than 100 years ago. When he died, they didn't put him in his coffin and send him back home. They sent a letter back to his family, and they said it was his wishes that we were his and he is ours and we're going to bury him here. And so they paid him the highest honor and homage they could. They buried him right in the middle of town. And the final words, his epitaph on his tombstone, read this way. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. How many of you want that said about your life while you're here? Dude, I read that, man, and it so motivated me again to think that the final words spoken over my life, I want God to say, well done. I want people to say it made a difference and it mattered. That what you did had an eternal impact. We're teaching about final words. Final words are powerful. Final words have a gravitas, a weight to them. In particular, we're looking at the final words of Jesus. He made three statements that were really profound. And here's what I think is interesting. Jesus didn't die accidentally. He knew what was coming. In fact, this is what he told his disciples right before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. No one takes my life from me. I'm giving it away right now to people. In fact, he even spoke these words. If I were to call on my father, he'd send more angels right now to protect me than any of you could ever imagine. Believe me, I'm doing this of my own accord. If you knew it was coming, 
wouldn't you think the last few words you were speaking would be words that you knew were going to be remembered and you'd want them to have impact, yes or no? So as we look at the final words of Jesus, the epitaph, we're looking at the gravitas, the weight of those words. So last week we started on the famous words of when Jesus is being nailed to the cross and the people that are nailing him, this is what Jesus says to them, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Powerful thought. Your final words. He teaches on forgiveness. So this weekend, we're going to look at the idea of my God, my God, why? Have you ever said to God, why? You ever been in a situation where you just didn't understand it and the only word you can get out is, why? God, why? Jesus did. And then next week for Easter, we'll look at the final three words of Jesus. It is finished. It's a powerful thought. What he means by that simply is there's nothing in the way any longer. We can now have peace with God. It's a powerful message of God's love and salvation in our lives. So today I want to talk about my God, my God, why. Matthew chapter 27. It's one of the gospels that include the story of the crucifixion of Jesus and the words. Not every gospel records it verbatim. Remember, these aren't three people in a room copying each other. Some are eyewitnesses. Some have heard it firsthand. And they're each writing down in their experience. So it would look like this. If I'm standing in this part of the room and the person over there in the back of the room witnesses something in the middle, we'd each write it down from our point of view, wouldn't we? It may not match verbatim, but we're telling the same story. So Matthew was telling Jesus' crucifixion and what he heard from his point of view. And here's what he tells. At about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned or forsaken me? That question, why? Why is this happening? Why did you allow this to happen? Why am I going through this? You know what's funny? Look at this. Jesus didn't lack the information of why. He fully knew why. Remember, he already said, I'm laying down my life. This is not a surprise to him. You know what he really needs? It's not the answer to why. He just needs to know that the Father is with him right now. Let me lighten this up real quick. When I was studying for the message, I looked at it through the lens of being a parent. I looked at it through the lens of being a kid with my parents, being a parent to my kids, and then being a grandparent to my grandkids. When I was a kid and I asked the question why, by the way, anybody in here have a kid that ever asked why? <laughs> they're like 50 and they're still asking why. Yeah, I, every kid asks why. Uh, we always think they need the information. Mostly, their mouths just move. When I was a kid, and I would ask my parents why. Why do I have to go to bed? Why do I have to eat that? Why do I have to take a bath? Why do I have to like my brother? Why can't we fight? Why can't I hang out with that person? Why can't I do what I want to do? My parents had this really deep theological answer. Listen to this. Every time I'd say why, they'd say because why is a crooked letter. Let that wash over your mind for just a minute. Why is a crooked letter. <laughs> Some of you, like me, would hear that and you would think, there must be a deeper meaning. And so I'd walk away thinking, I wonder what that means. And they got what they wanted. 
And to this day, I am still trying to figure out what does that mean? <laughs> All right, fast forward then, I become a parent. And like some of you, I decided I was going to be a better parent than my parents were. That I was going to take the time to explain to my kids why. That all they needed was to be reasoned with. That if a kid could be reasoned with, you could reach the kid. And then you'd never have to tell them why again. They would gladly do what you told them to do. So, of my five, all five were inquisitive. All five had their particular way of asking why. But one, David, my son David. David had a way of asking questions that were stumpers. You ever have one of those kids? He would ask me deep theological questions right at bedtime that I felt like I've got to answer this question or he'll grow up and not love God. So I'd spend 20 minutes trying to answer some question and I would get done with it and all he would say, well, why? And then I began to realize what he learned is he can stay up later than everybody else by asking me questions <laughs> right at bedtime. Fast forward then a few more years, my children grow up, I become a grandfather, and all these nine grandchildren run around me right now from 11 down to just now starting, and they all ask why. One spent the night last night, we said it's time to go to bed, and she says, why? And here's my answer, because why is a crooked letter. <laughs> I got an email last night from a parent who heard me say that in the Saturday night service. And he said, John, you'll get a kick out of this. As soon as we got home, my daughter asked me why. And I told her, because why is a crooked letter? And she said, no, it's not. It's a lazy Z. <laughs> I said, you have a brilliant child. <laughs> if you got a pen or a pencil and you want to fill in the blanks here, let me just talk about the why question. These three things first. Asking why. Asking why is okay. Jesus did. Sometimes we think if we ask why, we don't have faith, or if we ask why, it'll make God mad, or if we ask why, uh, we just simply are expressing something in our heart that we shouldn't express. But the truth of the matter is, God never gets put off by you asking why. It's okay to ask why. Here's the way that I kind of live my life as a follower of Christ. If Jesus did it, then it's okay for me to do it. If Jesus prayed, it's okay for us to pray. If Jesus expresses emotions, then it's okay for us to express emotions. If Jesus asked the why question, then it's okay for us to ask the why question. And when Jesus asked the why question, he asked it to the Father at a time in his life where he simply was hurting so bad that the only words he could get out were why. If you're ever in that place where you're hurting or you don't understand or it just doesn't make sense, look at me. It's okay to say to the Father why. It's not a lack of faith. It's not an off-putting question. It's not a negative. It's just sometimes where we are in life. After raising my kids, what I realized when they asked why, mostly they didn't need the information. What they really needed was to know a connection was there between us. They wanted to be connected. I think when Jesus says, my God, my God, why do I feel forsaken? I don't think that the Father left Jesus. I think Jesus, for the first time, just felt like I can't find God. Have you ever felt like you can't find God? When you feel that way, it's okay for you to say, why do I feel if Jesus said why, it's okay for you to say why. It's not a negative. It's okay. But if you're going to ask why, then this becomes really important. Knowing why really doesn't help. 
Here's what we tend to think. If God would just explain to me, if he'd just tell me why this is going on, if he'd just sit down and dictate to me, here's my thoughts and my plans for your life, my child. (laughs) Somehow this is what we think, that if he would just answer the why question, I'd be okay. But here's the problem. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And when God thinks about things, he thinks about it in a way that you and I can't grasp. So even if he took the time to explain every little detail, here would be your response. Why me? It wouldn't answer your question. Most of the time, it's not information that we need. It's connection that we need to have happen. So asking why is okay, because Jesus did, but knowing why most of the time really doesn't help. Here's the most important thing. Trusting God whether you hear the why or not is the most critical thing you can do in your life. Have you ever asked the why question and not gotten an answer? Let me just show you something real quick. If that's ever happened to you, you've asked why and all you heard was crickets. Raise your hand right now. Just look around the room. God never feels the pressure to answer every why question that we ask. Here's what I've learned about the Bible. God's more into proclaiming than he is to explaining. Creation of the world. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He spoke into the darkness and he he proclaims that he created it, but he doesn't give any details on how he did it. Like, God, if you would just explain that, it would solve so many of our problems. The fact that we can't take what he said that he did means that we wouldn't understand the answer anyway. Sometimes it's just that if God did it, he's a good God, and I trust and believe that, so even if I get it or not, I'm just going to trust him. Sometimes things take time in life. I've had stuff happen to me years and years ago that it just didn't make any sense, but living long enough, things come around. And you begin to see the wisdom in why God did what he did. Some things, I still go, why? (laughs) Asking why is okay. Knowing why doesn't always help. But trusting God is critical. If you're going to ask why, then I want you to remember to do these two things too. If you're going to ask why, I want you to remember to do these two things too. If you're going to ask why, also remember to ask how. Why is okay, but it doesn't always help. But how, man, that is a helpful question. John chapter 9. We have the disciples walking with Jesus. He's teaching them. They're hanging out together, and they come across a blind man. And the guy's been blind since birth. And I think the reason that the Bible tells us that little detail is this is not some industrial Uh, accident this happened. It's not some form of macular degeneration that all of a sudden the guy's experiencing. This guy doesn't know any other condition except that he's been blind his whole life. And in that culture at that time, here's what they reasoned. This happened because somebody did something wrong. Do you know that that's still alive today, that most of us, when something goes wrong, we think, what went wrong that this bad thing has happened? The problem with that is we look at it from a human point of view and God sees it from an eternal perspective and we think something bad. I did something wrong. Somebody crossed me. That's why this happened. And sometimes God just does things because there's a bigger picture that he's going to accomplish. So in this story right here, Jesus is walking along and he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi or teacher, his disciples asked him, why? See the why question? 
Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Most of the time when we see something wrong, we think it's because we did something wrong or somebody else did something wrong. And God, man, is way up here. That's why when the Bible says his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts, that's what it means. He doesn't have this humanistic response to it. He sees a bigger purpose. So Jesus answers the question this way. It was not because of his sins or because of his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God will be seen in him. It's okay to ask why, but the better question is how. How are you going to get glory from this, God? How are you going to beat the devil this time, God? How are you going to show the world that you're on my side, God? How are you going to take something that was meant for evil and turn it around for good? It's okay to ask why, but the better question is how, God? How are you going to use this in my life? How's a profound question. Most of us get stuck, and when you have to know why, you can get stuck. But if you'll ask how, it opens up the possibilities. That's important right there. Why is okay, but how is better. How will God use this? How will God be glorified? How is he going to turn evil to good? I thought about this when I was teaching. The devil spends all of his time doing three things in our lives. Jesus said this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy in your life is always working on one of those three things, and when he has a really good day, he works on all three at the same time. He's trying to steal from us. He's trying to kill us. He's trying to destroy us. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to steal your hope. He wants to kill anything that God's doing in your... That's what the devil does. But here's the prophecy that God gave us from the very beginning of time, speaking of Jesus and the devil. This is from the book of Genesis chapter 3. This was a prophecy God spoke to the enemy, and he spoke to mankind. Speaking to the devil, he said, you will strike his heel. So the best you'll do is you'll inflict a little pain in his heel, but when he's done, he's going to crush your head. So the devil has some effect in our lives. He strikes at us and he hurts us. But when God gets his hands on it, he always uses it to beat the enemy back in our lives. That's why you ask the how question. Instead of going, why me? Why this? Why, why, why? How about this? How are you going to use this to once again crush the head of the enemy? Powerful thought. Most people can't go beyond that because they're so self-interned when they're asking the why question. The why question can leave you stuck in life because God doesn't always answer why. And if you have to know why, you'll be stuck. But the how question opens you up to possibilities. When something goes wrong, instead of just always why, how about this? God, how are you going to take this negative, this betrayal, this failure, this, this horror? How are you going to turn this around for good? That's faith. That's faith. I want a response back from you. That's faith. That's faith. John chapter 11. This is just a, a story that maybe you've heard about Lazarus. It's Jesus' friend. Um, Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. These, these three people are followers of Christ. But Lazarus has a different relationship in that he and Jesus are really good friends. Lazarus gets sick, and in that time when you got sick, man, it wasn't like a cold. It's like sickness can be fatal, and this sickness is fatal. So they send a message to Jesus because they know what Jesus can do. And so when Jesus gets the message that Lazarus is sick, here's his response. When Jesus heard about it, that Lazarus is sick, 
He said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Nope, this has happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So they could have asked why, and Jesus is already giving them the how. This is not going to end in death. Yet if you know the story, it's a weird story. Lazarus dies. Jesus just said it won't end in death. But Lazarus dies. Jesus waits two days to go see Lazarus. He's been dead three days by the time Jesus gets there. And when he gets there, both sisters come up to him with the why question. Why didn't you get here in time? If you'd have got here, he'd be alive. Jesus doesn't answer their question because they won't understand. He's already said, this is done so the glory of God will happen in a person's life. If you remember the story, Jesus looks around at the people who were mourning and he's moved with compassion. The shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. It happens right there. He sees everybody mourning and it moves his heart to compassion. And then he asks the question, where have you lain him? What tomb is he in? And they point to the tomb. And then one of the sisters says, don't go over there because by now he stinks. Pretty graphic. Jesus walks over and has them roll the stone back. That's how they buried people in that time. And he yells into the tomb, Lazarus, get out here. Bold words. Most of the time, nothing would happen. But given a few minutes, out comes a man wrapped in grave clothes. Jesus' response to that is, take those dirty, dead things off of him and let that man go live his life. God, we would look at that and we would think at one point in the story, what an epic fail. God promised he wouldn't die and yet he's dead. But then when God gets done with the story... How much glory did God get out of that? And what did it really show us? That God is even God over death. And then Jesus makes this profound statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even if they die, they're going to live again just like Lazarus. Sometimes the stuff in our life looks like it died and it's dead. And what God wants you to do is to allow Jesus to speak to dead things. Come forth. Because he can do what you can't do. He's Lord even over death. Sometimes it looks dead, man. Sometimes it looks like a foregone conclusion. God's just waiting for an opportunity to get a lot of glory in your life. Amen. Amen. Death stinks. But when God shows that he's Lord over even that, man, how powerful is that? You know, a few weeks ago in a series we were teaching about faith. If you've been here, I shared a time in my life where um, only by faith... Only by faith, some things in my life that look like absolute failures, only by faith, I believe God would turn them around. Uh, the most significant one, or one of the most significant ones, there's too many actually to count, but one of the most significant ones was in my first ministry position. So a little more than 30 years ago, I was a youth pastor, back when they rode dinosaurs and chiseled on stone and, you know, the internet wasn't around back then. <laughs> I ended up at a church in Lakeland, Florida. It was a denominational church. The three years prior to getting into that place, I had worked every odd job, gone to school full-time, and was trying to support a wife and two little children. It was a difficult time trying to pursue getting into ministry. And I had given everything I could give to get in that place. And I finally get the job and I finally get the opportunity and I failed. 
They did not like me, and I didn't like them. The job lasted, listen to this, one year to the day. And the only reason I made it to the year is they gave me this invitation. You can quit or we'll invite you to be fired. Which one would you like? I'll quit. Man, I failed. It was an epic, public, embarrassing failure. <laughs> they didn't even allow me to say goodbye. <laughs> they were like, here's your last day, Monday, see ya. I felt like I had wasted all those years in school, all that time working, all the sacrifice. I had convinced myself that I had made a mistake. I should have never gone into ministry, that I didn't hear God's voice. All the evidence in front of me was nothing but failure. You ever been there in your life? When you look at it in the natural, when you look at it with these eyes, all you can see is what you did wrong, how it didn't turn out. Amen. Like a great big red F was written on that part of my life, fail. And it's embarrassing. I shared that as a story about sometimes we just, don't, we just don't get it all, but we just move forward by faith, that we just still trust God. I mean, here I am 30 years later with a group of people that like me. Amen. Mostly. Yeah. Some of you are like, I don't know. And some of you double like me, and it makes up for the ones who don't like me. So there, yeah, I get it. All right. So I shared that. And then I got this email, and the only reason I bring this back up is I want, I want to just show you what I'm talking about. Sometimes we just don't see it, but you don't know what God's been doing with it. Hi, Pastor John. Thank you for your series on faith. That's what I was teaching about. It's been a blessing to us. After hearing your message last night, my wife and I felt you needed to know that your work in Florida was not in vain. The impact you made there is the reason that we call JSC our home today. I know it was a long time ago, so you probably don't remember us, but two kids in your youth group, Stephanie and Bobby Rea, and their parents, Pat and Bob, remember you. And when we moved to Highlands Ranch, the impact that you had on their lives caused them to tell us we had to get to your church. He said, Pastor, it's easy to see the ones, the seed that we scattered. It's easy to see the ones that fall on the rocks that don't live. The ones we can't see are the ones that fall in between the cracks and it takes a long time for them to rise up. The guy goes on to tell me, you don't know how many people you impacted in that time that you wrote a big red F over. He said, we're here today in your church loving Jesus because of what you did 30 years ago. God, when I viewed this, everything up into this just seemed like I made the worst mistake in my life. What if God used that in my life in order to help somebody else find the kingdom, and now I'm okay 30 years later. Was it worth it now? On this side of it, yes. At the time, I didn't get it. Look at me real quick. When you gave your life to Christ, you said he's Lord, not you. Amen. Let me try that one more time. You said he's Lord, not you. Amen. And that means he has the right to do the things that he sees. We don't get it all the time. We don't get it when things go wrong. But you don't know what God is doing in that time. And the most important thing you can do is to trust God in that day. To hold on, man, and keep walking. If you don't quit, the devil can't win. Amen. God will use that thing eventually to crush his head one more time. If you're going to ask why, remember to ask how. Let me just give you the last one and I'll be done. Remember to pray this prayer. 
listen to this. Your will be done. One more time. Remember to pray this prayer. Your will be done. Now, I know what I'm saying. There's this get-off point in all of our lives where we think, if I pray that prayer, I'm giving God permission to crush me. He will send me one way to some island nation, and I'm not coming back. I am not praying that prayer. Let me tell you what that's based on. Look at me real quick. Here's what that's based on. That's based on bad theology. Here's the theology that somehow God is not going to do me right, and somehow God doesn't really care about me, and somehow God's out to get me. Get that out of your head. He loves you. He cares for you. He knows the number of hair on your head. Dude, he, he designed you. He knows you. He loves you. And that prayer is so significant because it's not a prayer of giving up. It's a prayer of surrender to God. Luke 22. Jesus, in a horrible We have no idea what he was feeling at the time in the Garden of Gethsemane, just the pressure that was on him. Here's his prayer to the Father. Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. In other words, God, is there a plan B that I don't know about? Is there another way? Because if there is, let's do it right now. But then this remarkable, he doesn't end it right there, this remarkable statement, if Jesus did it, we need to do it. Yet I want your will to be done in my life, not my will to be done in my life. God, God, if there's any other way, this is just too unbearable. This hurts too much. I can't stand it. Isn't there another way? Yet, God, your will be done. That's a hard prayer to pray. Let me show you three other identities of this. The Lord's Prayer. I bet most of you know it. Help me say it. Our Father... When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, the Lord compacts a few key things for us to pray every day. Here's one of those things we should pray every day. Your will be done. If it's true that God loves you, if it's true that he has your best interest in mind, if it's true that he knows what ultimately is going to make you whole and happy, then praying that prayer is not, "Uh uh-oh, here it comes. It should be. Finally, I've come to the end of myself. God, take over. The best day of your life might be the day you come to the end of yourself trying to control everything. How about Mary, Jesus' mother? 14 or 15-year-old kid. The angel Gabriel comes to her and says, Mary, you found favor with God more than any other woman on the earth. God has chosen you to bear the Messiah. Mary's first question is, why me? How can this be? Why? But then her second statement is really powerful. Be it done unto me according to your word. And we're all the better that Mary said, okay. That prayer is so significant. It is so powerful. Your will be done. Let me just do this real quick. It's more than semantics. Listen to my statement. The difference between surrendering and giving up is more than semantics. It's the difference between life and death, surrendering and giving up. When you surrender, there's just a calmness in the decision that you've made. But when you give up, 
you do it in panic and you're exasperated. God never calls you to give up. He calls you to surrender your life. There should be a calm decision at some point when you finally realize, at some point you live long enough to realize, I just can't control everything. I just can't yell anymore. I can't spend anymore. I can't fight anymore. I can't run anymore. I can't curse anymore. I can't hold any tighter. At some point, there's a calmness that has to come to all of us on the lordship issue of God. Take it from my hands. I surrender to you. And instead of fear, there's a calmness and a serenity in that that God is able when you're not. Here's the difference between surrender and giving up. When you surrender, doors open because now you believe that God can do something. But when you give up, every door slams because here's what you're saying, I quit. And as long as you don't quit, you can't be beat. This is the last one right here. When you surrender, you go up. But when you give up, you go down into the pit of despair. Now just look at me real quick. You're free to disagree with this statement. You don't have to buy into it. Maybe you're hearing this message today from a place where you're gripping whatever it is so tightly and my message is fearful to you. I get that. I've been there many times. Here's all I want you to consider. You can have two people at roughly the same point at the same time in life who have the same experience. One person has that experience and it can be a dreadful experience but they hold on to their faith and after the experience their lives go up and they actually use that thing to do better. And another person can have that experience and they lose their faith and they give up and they go down and in life it works this way. Two people that have the same thing happen to them, one goes up and one goes down. Why? It's the difference between surrendering to God and quitting. And maybe you're just at a place right now where you're just gripping it so tight and you're holding on for dear life. You're at the end of your rope. The cliche is tie a knot and hang on. Mine would be turn the rope over to God. Put yourself in his hands. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, then go all the way with it. If you're a follower of Christ, follow him because he's good because he loves you and give yourself fully to him that's what lordship is and that's where peace is found and that's where doors open so father hey guys just uh, close your eyes for a minute and just um, don't be afraid of what what I'm going to say right now I'm not asking you to do anything except listen. I know that some of you are hearing this message right now from a, maybe a difficult place. Maybe, um, maybe as I teach this message, that thing, man, is on the forefront of your mind and you know exactly what God is trying to say to you and you're just so afraid to trust God. You're afraid to trust Him with your spouse or your mom or your son. Maybe you're afraid to trust God with your business. 
Maybe you're afraid to trust God with your health. Your marriage. Your future. Your dream. Maybe somehow the devil's convinced you that by trusting God, you're not going to be happy. He's going to take away your happiness. Then begins the great game of taking over our own lives, of trying to be God and control and hold on to and think that we know more than. Please don't hear me say I don't struggle with that. Over and over and over again, all of us, we struggle with that. But here's what I've learned. God is trustworthy. God is faithful. God loves us and he cares for us and he created us and he knows what will make us ultimately happy and satisfied. And he has your best interest at heart. Maybe you've realized and reckoned if I let go of this, it's going to be painful. Here's the other hand. It's killing you. God loves you so much, he wants you to be free. Maybe you're not ready to trust him on that. That's okay. Maybe you could pray this prayer. God, help me learn to trust you. Help me learn how to believe and put faith in you. God respects that prayer. I don't want to make you do anything. I'm not talking down to you. And if you're not ready, that's okay. But if you are, then I want you to see in your mind right now, just open your hands and tell God, your will be done. Do it because you believe he's good. Do it because you believe he loves you. Do it without conditions. Just tell God, your will be done. May the Lord give us grace to help us do that. Here's the other thing that just rings in my head right now. Um, we're talking this Easter season about the work of Jesus. And man, that primary work was to restore the relationship between us and God that was broken. God loves us so much that he realized the position we were stuck in and that we couldn't do anything about it. So he sent Jesus to be the repairer of what was broken. One of the things that Jesus does, he's a bridge between us and God. When Jesus said, it is finished, what he meant is there's nothing in the way now between us and the Father. The work was done to remove the sin, to remove the guilt, to remove all the stuff that gets in the way. The only thing left then is to say yes to God if you want what he offers. Mercy, grace, life, help, peace, joy. Maybe you're here visiting or maybe you've been here a long time. Here's the common denominator. If you've never said to God, I need that relationship with you. This is one of those messages where suddenly the Holy Spirit can just speak to your heart and tell you, this is for you. You can hear God draw you and pull you to him. 
You can feel the Holy Spirit. You don't even know what that is, but you feel it in your heart. That's the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to point you out. and I'm not going to send you to go do anything. But I do want you to respond right now if this is what you want. If you say, Pastor, I hear right now God call my name. I hear him tug on my heart. I need that relationship with him. I want his mercy. I want his grace. I'll put my trust right now in what you said, that he loves me so much he's made this possible. You may have 10,000 theological questions. All of them in time. God can walk with you and some things answer and maybe other things no. But here's the truth. You can make a decision about needing him long before you have any question answered. If you need God today, you need his life, and you say, Pastor, remember me when you pray, just slip your hand up right now. John, just pray for me. You bet. Yeah, I see you. Many of you. Many, many, many. Yeah, yeah. You can put them right back down. All right, I'm going to pray. But my prayer is not um, like some magic prayer because I'm a pastor. God hears it. What God wants is from your heart to tell him that you need him right now. There's not a right way or a wrong way to say it. I'm going to pray. Maybe just say, uh, I agree. Or maybe just say yes. Or maybe just say, that's what I want. But the most important thing is that you just mean it from your heart. So as I pray, if this is what you want, just say yes to God. So Father, for every man and woman who just right now senses and feels you speak to them and you call to them, God, do what you do really well. Bring about relationship between us and you. God, do what you do. Forgive us. Bring life to us and help us right now. Remember, while I'm praying, just say yes. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for Jesus and the work that he did so that all of this is possible. Thank you, God, for caring for us. God, I just pray right now that nothing would get in a person's mind and derail them from the simple decision of just saying, I need God. Father, thank you. Thank you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to me.